Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Kingsway Podcast from Pastor Sean. You are about to hear a message from a recent Sunday service. We consider it a privilege to be on a spiritual journey with you. So take a few moments with us and allow God to inspire you today. I'm going to go a little deeper. And I don't know if you're paying enough attention, so I'm going to come closer. Now this is going to be tough for some of you. The Bible says that he's the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Say it with me, Melchizedek. Now I know at the moment I made you say that, 80%, maybe 90% of everyone in here just tuned me out, said this is going to be one of those sermons. I don't understand it already. I don't know where he's going. And that word's really big. I don't know how that word's going to help me at all. Just tell me that God is good. Let me go home. This message, not everyone's going to comprehend. Not everyone is going to understand. Not everyone is going to get the mystery that we are going to share with you today. Some of you will. And the ones that are paying attention, it will change your life forever. As a matter of fact, I've known the principles of this message that I'm about to preach today or really teach for years and years and years. I've known it. I felt it. I believed it true. I didn't exactly know where the scriptures were, but I knew it because I could feel it in my life. I would do these things and I would watch it happen and I'd be like, wow, glory to God. And I would tell people about it and they say, where's the scripture for that? And I go, well, it's, it's in there. It's in the Bible. Through this study I've been doing, the last couple weeks I've had some time off, I've been able to find some scriptures and some stories that really make this point very clear. And I've studied some really prominent pastors and preachers to confirm what I believe and what I'm going to teach today. You can turn, it's in Hebrews. You should turn to Hebrews. I'm going to open my Bible here, and I'm going to turn to Hebrews it says this high priest in order of Melchizedek. It's in chapter 4. It's in chapter 5. It's in chapter 6. It's in chapter 7. So the first thing I did is I looked this up and said the order of Melchizedek, how many times is it in the New Testament? And you know what I found? This is, this is point number one. This is the most repeated phrase from the Old Testament in the New You know how the New Testament quotes the Old Testament? They quote Isaiah. They talk about Jesus, to all these things in the Old Testament. The most prominent scripture verse in the New Testament, repeated from the old, is this one right here. High priest in the order of Melchizedek. It, it may be a little important. It's about a priesthood. Priesthoods may not be too common to you right now. Verse 11 in, in chapter 5 says this. There is much more we would like to say about this Melchizedek. But it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. That's what it, I thought Rod didn't make that up. It says it right there. It continues on. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. You've heard us say this before. We've been preaching this message all year. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. We've preached this message. Having milk and honey. What I'm here to tell you is, is that there are two priesthoods that are mentioned all throughout the Bible. The Levitical priesthood, the priests of Levi. 
And then there's this priesthood, the one with the big word, Melchizedek. But most of you won't get it because you just want milk and honey. You just want to feel good. You just want to hear some scriptures you understand real easy and walk out the door. And that's okay. As a matter of fact, this message has nothing to do with your salvation. You'll be saved today if you don't get a word I'm saying. But if you focus in, especially for you younger people and especially for you seniors, if you focus in, you will see something here. What we'll do? What we'll do? Change your is anybody listening? It will change your life. Is anybody excited about that? Golly, I'm trying to get you guys on board here. Look, let me, maybe this will lighten things up. I'm not going to talk about milk and honey today. I'm going to talk about the cheddar. That's what that is. It's cheddar cheese, I think. The cheddar. This story about Mechazeldeck, this story that, that the Bible's talking about, that I would like to share more with you, it's told in the form of cheddar. What's Cheddar. Well, you know, I don't know. When I was growing up, they'd say, it's all about the cheddar. It means, you know, money. Yeah. You know, the Bible talks about money more than any other topic other than God himself. I'll get into that later. Let's turn now to Genesis and, and, st and put a bookmark in Hebrews because we're coming back to it. We're going to flip through your Bible a lot. If you can't flip through your Bible, that's fine. I'm going to put them on the screen. But we're going to flip through a lot. I want you to look, turn to Genesis. It's chapter 14. Now you can read through, you can mark it, but I want to share this story. It's about this king. And you see, this king, this king in this scripture was a very, very powerful king. So what happened was, is Abram, this was before he was Abraham, had his nephew Lot, and they began to see some blessing, and their farmlands grew, and they decided to spread out. Now Lot said, hey, I'll take all the really good lands over here, and you can go over there. Abraham's like, okay, that's fine. Abram's like, okay, that's fine. I think Lot knew this. If you study Lot, you'll realize this. Lot wanted the best of everything, the best stuff. He wanted the best land, the best entertainment, the best experiences, and so he took this best area, and of course, guess where it was? Right next to Sodom. He was a righteous person, by the way. There's nothing wrong with what Lot did. But when you mess and get tempted with sin, you better be careful. So he went to try to get the best of everything. And so he's hanging out with Sodom in these cities here. And what happens is, is there are these six cities, Sodom was one of them, and they all had to pay tribute once a year to King Cheddar. Cheddar Lamar is his name. It's hard to say in your Bible. It may start with a C-H. It may start with a K, but it's Cheddar Lamar. And he said, once a year for 12 years, you're going to come and you're going to give me a tribute. I'm going to take it. I'm going to take your money. For 12 years, they did this. This year, the 12th year, they got a little tired of that. So they said, we're going to take down Cheddar Lamar. We're not going to put up with it anymore. So they tried to, Sodom included. Guess what? They failed. Yeah, miserably, because his kingdom was vast. His armies were powerful. So they demolished all these people. And you know what happened? They took them as slaves, began to torture them. Isn't that crazy? You move in with sin, you know what happens? Pretty soon, it starts taking advantage of you. You start finding out you're in bondage with it. You find out that you're being tortured by it, and you find out there's no way out. That's what happened a lot. Chedilemar sitting back like, okay, I conquered everyone. You won't give me some of your money, I'll take all of it. Abram finds out about this, hears about it, hears about his nephew. Immediately, 
He gets up, he goes, takes his army, and he defeats Chedorlaomer. What? This is, this is before Abram had the vast armies. This is before he, he had the promise that said his descendants will be as many as the stars. Way before any of that. He just was a farmer with a couple sheep, and he went and he, he beat Chedorlaomer? I'm going to get to that in a second, but it was a miracle. After he beat Chedorlaomer, he took back Lot, and he took all the cities that were captive, and he let them go back and live their own lives with their own stuff. Go back. He's gone now. No worries about him. And on his way back home, Abram encounters Melchizedek. It's right here. Verse 18, Genesis 14. This is the story. And before I get into the details of this, I wanted to share this thought because we were talking about it beforehand. So I added this in, you know, at the last second here, Miss, uh, Miss Angie. If you go up to the first verse 14, when Abraham heard that his nephew Lot had been captured, he mobilized the 318 trained men. He had 318 trained men ready to go. 318 trained farmers as warriors ready to go. And these 318 did what? They took down the most powerful kingdom of that time. How's that possible? How's 318 farmers able to take down? Well, number one, it was a miracle. A miracle by God, no doubt. But number two, he trained them. You see, he was ready for war. He was planning way before Lot ever got captured. He had worked these people and worked these people and worked these people to train for the war that was to come from the enemy. And that is what we need to do, Kingsway. We need to make sure that we are trained for the fight of faith that is in front of us. We have a war room ready to go. This war room is where you're supposed to go in and learn how to pray. Spend time with people praying. Pray for other people and learn how to fight the fight the way that Satan can be defeated through prayer. Somehow get a hold of it. In verse 18, And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the priest of the God Most High. King of Salem. So they just defeated the biggest army and kingdom that that area had ever seen. And then Abraham walked off, and he came across Melchizedek in verse 18 here, the king of Salem. You know what Salem means? Salem means completeness. It means fullness. In his Hebrew translation, it means peace, full of peace, as in shalom. This place, Salem, that he came from was later known as Jerusalem. I wonder who else you know came from Jerusalem. It says he's the high priest of God, the priest of God of Most High. And when he saw Abram, he brought to him something. So this king from a far off land, far greater than the king he just defeated, showed up and he offered Abram something. He offered him bread and wine. Do you see that in verse 18? He's bringing to him communion. It's why we started the service with communion. This king wasn't bringing more death. He was bringing the bread of life. Understand this, church. I believe, and many people do, that Melchizedek was one of the uh, pre-incarnate uh, experiences of Jesus Christ. In other words, he came down as an angel before he was Jesus Christ, before he was known, and he presented himself. Many people believe this. I believe this. Why do I believe it? Well, because he was a king and a priest, and we'll get to that. Also, I believe that because he came, and the first thing he did was present communion. 
And that reminds me, communion. Think of the bread for a second. What do we know about bread? How do you make bread? You knead it. You smash it. You squeeze it. You roll it. You bake it. This is what we did with Christ. The bread, his body broken. The wine, what is the wine? Well, back then, you know how you created wine? You take grapes, you put them in a barrel, and you smash them until the juices literally burst out the sides, and you smash them all up and crush them. This is what we did to Jesus Christ. The most wicked thing we could ever do. God sends his son, and yet our sin destroys him. Are you following me so far? Through death, through life, he just killed all these people. And now this king of Jerusalem, Salem, comes and he's bringing him life. Not laws. I want you to hear that. This is before Moses. This is before the wilderness. This is before the Ten Commandments. Before all the Levitical priesthoods, which we'll talk about in a second. Before all of that, no laws here. He's bringing life and that more abundantly. Not laws and more laws. Life and more life. How do I know that? Look at the next verse. What does it say? It says, blessed be Abraham by God most high. Blessed be Abraham. Blessed be Chuck. Blessed be Ron. Blessed be Jimmy. This king came and started blessing Abraham. This is what God does. This is what grace is, to bless and not curse. God was before the law blessing and blessing and blessing to one another. One person gets it. Blessed be the God and Most High who has defeated your enemies for you. This is about blessing, not about the law. We get so hung up on the law at church. Do this, don't do this, Ten Commandments, that, this and that. Got to understand it. What I want you to understand is how God is blessing you and how if you stand in, your, in his presence, you have rest. And that is something I do not want you to fail to experience. Now look what happens here. It says, because of all of this, Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all he had, all the goods he recovered. He gave a tenth. Nobody put a gun to his head. There was no law. No one told him to do it. No one said, you'll, you'll be cursed if you don't do it. He just did it. He just did it. He gave a tithe. Look what happens right after that. When blessing comes, you know what usually happens? You know who follows blessing? Satan. He comes right behind trying to take your blessing away. Look what happens. It says, right after that, 21, the king of Sodom said to Abraham, give back my people who were captured, but you may keep for yourself all the goods you have recovered. Isn't that just like Satan? You know, so here this man was blessed. Here this man, Abram, just decides to give something to God and tithe out the goodness of his heart to bless this man who's standing before him, to honor this angel who's standing before him. And immediately after, Satan comes, in the form of Sodom in this case, comes and says, hey, 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 you can have all my stuff too. Just give me back the people. Hear me today. Satan does not care about your money. In fact, he'll use money to get your soul. All Satan cares about is your soul and the soul of everyone you know, and that's who he's out for. And if you are ministering or worshiping and, and, and you are, are, are testifying to your friends, believe me, Satan is out for them. And he wants their soul. But look what happens. Abram says, whoa, whoa. I solemnly swear to the Lord God most high, cradle in heaven, I will not take a single thread or even a shoelace from you, Sodom. Otherwise, you may say, I am the one who made Abram rich. Now, here we go. 
Now I'm about to start. I needed all that to get you to hear. God is so clear. You and I often miss it. I am the one who made you rich. First of all, Abram wasn't rich. He was a farmer. He had nothing at this point. Nothing. Some sheep, some goats, a home, not even any descendants, not even any kids. He had nothing. He had some plunder from this king, uh, Chetamar, and so that was a little bit. How did he know he'd be rich? God is more concerned with your testimony of money than your money. God is more concerned with your testimony of money than your money. It says right here, Abram says, I want to make sure that no one will think you made me rich, Sodom. It goes on, only God, only God. Now here's where it gets really, really interesting. I told you I'm going to get deep with you. That character right there, it's chopped off a little bit at the bottom. Right there, that is the Jewish word for ashar. Ashar. It's three characters. That Jewish word for ashar, the Hebrew word, is the word right here. I am the one who will make you rich. It means to make rich. Ashar. To make rich. This word is also in this scripture somewhere else. Except it has another letter on it. It looks like this. It looks like this. That letter on the front there is an M in Hebrew. It means mashar. So the second word is mashar. The first one is a verb. It means to make rich. The second one is a noun, mashar. You know what noun mashar means? It means tithe. Listen to this. It means tithe. Inside the tithe is the making of richness. Are you following this? Abram, this was revelation, brother Fred. This was revelation. Did you guys know that the word rich was embedded in the word tithe? I didn't know it. The Hebrews all knew it. All the Jewish people knew it. And so they did it over and over and over and over again. They tithe all the time. Now, the scripture even says they tithe to the point where Jesus said, I don't want you to be so concerned with the tithe, you miss out on the important things like mercy and grace and justice. So don't think just because you tithe, you get it. There are more important things than tithing. There are more important things like your salvation. But God has a system here, and the system is so clear. It's a financial system, and it works with this word. There's another word. See, the Jewish people, they, they, were, they were this really interesting word. You know what word they used to the Jewish people? It's called holy. They were holy. Holiness is a word that we confuse all the time. Let me explain to you God's system. It's so simple, and yet it evades so many of us. Holiness means to set apart. It means to take something and set it apart for some other use, different than the use of everyone else, to set apart holy. So the Jewish people did everything they could to set themselves apart. They look different. They talk different. They wore different. They celebrate different holidays. They live different. They ate different. They set themselves apart. That was holiness. Holiness is, the opposite of holiness is not to sin. Right? No, 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 no. You got that wrong. See, to set apart, holiness is not wearing really long dresses all the way down to your feet, no earrings, no makeup, and a bun on your head that when you sneeze, it moves. That's not holiness. 
That's not holiness. The opposite of holiness is common. If you're like everyone else, look like them, talk like them, act like them, that's common. That's not set apart. Uncommon is holy. What do I mean by this? When the world is depressed, you need to be uncommon. You need to be at rest in the presence of the Lord. When the world is confused, you need to be confident that the Lord God is giving you strength. When the world is divided, you need to be at peace and unity. This is uncommon. Are you following me, church? Why is holiness important? Well, this is one of those areas. I'm going to flip through my Bible here. Here we go. Romans chapter 11. You can write it down if you don't have time, but I'm running out of time, and i got so much I want to say, and i got to get this out for you to hear this full system. This is what God says. He says it in 11, um, uh, right here, verse 16. 11, 16. It says, Just as the entire batch of dough is holy, because the portion given as an offering is holy, for if the roots of a tree are holy, the branches will be holy. And a little bit earlier in 16, it says, since Abraham was holy, their descendants will be holy. Abraham's holy, his descendants were holy. If the first part of the dough is holy, all of it is holy. If the root is holy, the whole tree is holy. Holy, holy, I don't, I don't know if I get it. This is one of those areas where a story Bible will, will get you a little wrong. This is a New Living Translation. I love it. I preach out of it. It's a story Bible, though. It makes the words easy to understand, but it's missing some, some, some concept here. And if you look in the King James, anybody get the King James? We got one. Anybody, if you're looking at the King James, look at the King James verse 16 and read the first part of it. Read it out loud. Anybody? What's it say? There it is. For if the first fruits... For if the first fruits is holy, if the first fruits are set apart, now the whole story of Cain and Abel makes a lot more sense, doesn't it? You see, Cain and Abel, you remember them, the first two sons, and, and, and Cain, he, he has, uh, he's gardening, and he has some stuff, and he's looking at all this stuff, all of his fruits, all his vegetables, and he says, oh, I'll give some of these to the Lord, that's good. And then Abel over here, he has this cattle. He does something very different. He waits until he's born the firstlings of his cattle. And he takes the best of his firstlings and he takes those to God. And God honors the first fruits over here and doesn't honor the fruits over here because they're not the first, they're not the best. This guy's all upset and he kills that guy. Because you see, the first fruits need to be set apart. And if you set it apart, the rest is holy. The first fruits are your tithe. If you take your money and you set 10% of it apart from the rest and you use it for God's kingdom, if the first fruit is holy, the rest is holy. And what is holy, Satan cannot touch. It's God's system. This is not a pastor trying to say, I need your money. I don't need your money. Actually, I'm well gainfully employed outside the church. I don't need any more money. Money that you guys give me and bless me, we bless the church and others with it. The church doesn't need your money. As a matter of fact, all the tithes, all the giving that you gave would not have paid for the roofing project. We needed God's miracle to pay for the roofing project. And God used you to do a miracle through you. And you got to experience some of it. Holiness. It says it right there. Romans chapter 11. The first fruit is set apart. Now it sounds a lot more funny when you go back and look at it. I talked about cheddar. My new living translation translated, if the entire batch of dough is holy, because the portion of the first fruit is holy. 
cheddar and dough, you get it? Maybe, okay. Maybe it's not cheddar, maybe it's Swiss cheese because it's holy. I, I don't know, okay. The, the jokes don't work. All right, so I woke somebody up. Okay, great. Why do we tithe then? Do we tithe just so we can be rich? No. That is not why we tithe. We do not tithe to be rich. We have to define rich, but that is not why we tithe. But it is, caution here, sorry, I, I have to tell you, I'm going to warn you for those listening, for those paying attention, if you tithe, you will be. You'll hear more about that next week and the week after. We're starting a financial series here right before Christmas. And it's really important in Kingsway because we believe in the strength of a family. And part of that is finances. Why should we tithe? You can go back to Hebrews, flip back. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 4. It's talking about the order of Melchizedek. And it says in verse 4, Consider then how great this Melchizedek was. Okay, so you got to understand this here. Now I'm going to explain a little more detail. Now pay attention. Pay attention. You see, after Abram and his, by the way, after he tithed, he got that promise. After that tithe was when God came down and said, I will make your descendants as many as the stars. I'll give you this great wealth. And he says, I can't have great wealth. I have no children. I'll give you that too, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All those blessings happened after he denied the enemy and he tithed to God. Then his people proliferated, 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 and then Moses, and then they were enslaved, and then they were disobedient, and then they're walking through the wilderness, and like God's like, golly, you guys will not get this. I need to give you the law. So he gives the Ten Commandments, and he sets up the priesthood. The sons of Levi, one of the sons of Jacob named Levi, those were the priests. If you were born in the priesthood of Levi, you could be a priest. That's it. Then you could atone and go into the Holy of Holies, and you could atone for your, your village. You could be in God's presence. If you weren't of that bloodline, you could never go. These people were esteemed the highest of the high, the, the priesthood of Levi. They also made all the rules and all these crazy rules about what you couldn't eat and what you, all the things in Leviticus. Leviticus, Levi. Okay, you'll figure it out eventually. So what happens is here, all the Jewish people think Levi is the greatest, through that line of Abraham. And they say the Levitical priesthood is the most important. And so the whole rabbis and all of that is, falls under this priesthood. And so right here, what Paul is doing in Hebrews is saying, even Abraham, the great patriarch of Israel, recognized by giving Melchizedek a tenth of what he had. Basically, he's saying Abraham was before Levi and Abraham was greater than Levi, and yet Abraham bowed before Melchizedek. There is a priesthood that's bigger than Levi, bigger than Abraham. It is Melchizedek. Who is this Melchizedek? What he is saying is that there's this man that has this grace and this blessing, and this grace and blessing came before the law was ever there. Grace is better. Grace is higher than the law. And that's what Jesus Christ came to do. Some people are getting it. The law is temporary. The law aims to curse. You break it, you get cursed. That is what we saw all through the Old Testament up until Jesus Christ came. And he came to fulfill the law, take away the curse, and add blessing. And because of that, this is how great he was. This Melchizedek, he was a king and a priest together. It was unheard of, you see, because when you were a priest, you couldn't be a king. That was the law. But this man came before all that. He was a king and a priest Oh, man, it gets so crazy. I, hopefully I can share all this with you. He's a king and a priest. This great man came 
blessed him. He got a tithe. And they're talking about him all in the New Testament over and over and over and over again. If, they keep talking about this person in the New Testament. They talk about Jesus and they talk about Melchizedek. Hopefully you're starting to see the imagery here that, that God is trying to set up. But in order, the Bible says, to be the priest that comes to save us, you need to be of both lines, a priest and a king. So Jesus came through the line of David. You guys know this. And he was a king that the, the Jewish people didn't accept. They denied him. In fact, they killed him. Well, our sin killed him, but, you know, they were part of that. So how did Jesus Christ become the high priest? Like this Melchizedek we're talking about. How, how did he embody this high priesthood? How did he do that? He needed a passing of the anointing, a passing of the blessing. You see, back then, the only way to become a priest was to be in the a sons of Levi, a son of Levi, a son of Levi, and a grandson, and so forth, and so on, all the way till Jesus came. And so these, these priests were everywhere. Jesus wasn't that. That's why he wasn't accepted. He needed to be blessed and anointed by a son of Levi. How did this happen? Does anybody know how this happened? This is amazing when you look in Scripture. You see how it all fits together. It's wonderful and gorgeous and beautiful. Jesus Christ, when he began his ministry, who did he seek out in the wilderness? A man. A man, when he walked into the water, a man put his hand on him, began to anoint him and bless him. A high priest named John the Baptist transferred the priesthood from himself to Jesus Christ. And then God opened the heaven and said, I no longer need sons of Levi, for now this is my my son. And now you have a high priest named Jesus Christ who is both a priesthood and a king and yet they denied him. And so we recognize how great God is every time we tithe. We break down this concept that money rules our life. That money is important. That Satan is going to give us more of it or Satan is going to tempt us with this or tempt us with that. Because the Bible says the love of money, not money, love of money is the root of all evil. You know, you can love money without having it. Lots of people do. Well, if I had this, I would do that. I do this. I need this and I need that. Blah, 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 blah. The love of money is the root of all evil. So when we tithe, we recognize how great God is. Amen? Okay. Now, normally I'd end right here. Say a little prayer for you, take an offering, and let you go. This is where we get to the next level. You ever heard preachers talking about the next level? I want to share with you the next level, but you don't have to hear it. In fact, some of you won't get it. In fact, some of you won't understand it. The Bible tells me that because you're looking for milk and honey. And we're so far into the meat right now. And I'm about to give you some vegetables. They don't taste good, but I'm telling you, this is good stuff. Do you want to hear more? Do you want to hear more? Look, you want to teach about finances? I'm doing it. I'm telling you the exact way the scriptures lay it out, and tithing is the centerpiece of it. It started all the way back before the law with the greatest of all high priests, Melchizedek, who then came as Jesus Christ in the flesh, the Son of God, to restore the high priesthood whom we tithe to today. How do I know that? Well, I'm going to show you more in Scripture. Why do we tithe? Because he is great. It says it right there. Now consider how great this man was. The next reason we tithe is a little bit down. You have to drop down to verse 9. It says generation after generation. We tithe for the generations. In addition, we might even say, I'm in verse 9, we might even say these Levites, the ones who take the tithe, that they also gave a tithe to Melchizedek when their ancestor Abraham did it. For although Levi wasn't born yet, the seed for which he came was in Abram. 
Get that for a second. The Levites weren't part of all this. And all the people had to give their tithe to the Levites. The Levites, actually, they took it. They made, they made sure you took it. They, 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 the Orthodox Jews, they took the tithe from them. And they said, even these Levites tithe to Melchizedek because the Levites were still in the loins of Abraham. They were still in his DNA. When Abram was tithing, therefore they were tithing. That's what it says. Verse 10, for although Levi was not born yet, the seed from which he came from in Abram's body when Melchizedek, and in my Bible says collected a tithe from him. This is one of those where, where the King James gets it right in these translation Bibles. It doesn't say collected in King James. It says received. You see, God does not collect anything from you. He receives from you. Look, look, look. You got to get this. You got to get this. I, I get so overwhelmed when I think about this because it goes through my mind every day and I completely dismiss it and I want to make sure I'm saying it in clarity today. When you tithe, you affect your generation after generation after generation. You put a blessing on them whether they want it or not. How do I know this? What well, says it in scripture? Prove it to me. Why aren't there all these blessed people out there? Hmm. Let's take a look at that. Point two, zero point two percent of the seven trillion people on or seven billion people on the earth, zero point two percent are Jewish. This chapter is written to the Hebrews. That's not Starbucks. That's the Jewish people. It's written to the Jewish people. They understood this before anyone else. They understood tithing. And they did it no matter what. Generation after generation after generation. Do you know today, today it is not stereotypical. It is the truth. 0.2 population, Jewish people, have an unprecedented influence over society. They have a disproportionate amount of the wealth. And you may say, oh, yeah, Jewish people are bankers and they're this. And there's all kind of terrible anti-Semitic jokes. I'm not talking about jokes. Let's talk about facts for a second. Silicon Valley, you aware of it? Let's talk about Silicon Valley for a second. There's a company in there that every business in America almost, every business around the world almost, if you're in an enterprise business, especially Fortune 1000, you have a database in your company. It's usually by a company called Oracle. The CEO of Oracle is Larry Ellison. His company is worth um, just about 200, uh, $200 billion. He is Jewish. Maybe you haven't heard of that company. That's fine. Have you heard of a little company called Facebook? Let's step it up to about $450 billion. The youngest people in the world with the biggest and brightest ideas are Jewish. Mark Zuckerberg? Well, you don't have to look it up to know that Zuckerberg is Jewish. It gets more interesting. A couple years ago, he bought a company for $19 billion called WhatsApp. Now, many of you don't have any idea what WhatsApp is. I've been asking, anybody know what WhatsApp is? Nav knows what it is. WhatsApp is an app used by international people all around the globe to communicate send text messages, do video messaging, communicate with voice all for free. WhatsApp was bought for $19 billion. You know who owns WhatsApp? John Combe. You know what religion he is? Jewish. Maybe you're not getting it, I don't know. Let me help you out a little bit more. Do any of you use the internet? 
Have you ever typed into Google? Tried that before. Google, two owners, Larry Page, Sergey Brin. Take one guess what religion they are. Jewish, MGM, Universal, Fox Studios, CEOs all Jewish. Are, are you getting the point? These men may not be godly. They may not be set apart anymore. But their ancestors and our ancestors and our ancestors and our ancestors and our ancestors for thousands of years have been tithing and they are still seeing the generational blessing. Those ideas could have came to anybody in humanity. God said those ideas to the Jewish people. Are you following it, church? An unprecedented influence. And on, you want senior citizens, if you're here today, our older generation, you want to change this universe? You want to change this country? I'm telling you, you can complain about the way we run the government and the way we do finances and, and, and social help. You can talk about all the different ways we should or shouldn't do it. You want to leave your children a legacy. The Bible says tithe. That's what it says. The seed that's in you. And your grandson and granddaughter may not be set apart, but they will reap the benefit. And here we are. We have so much more. Because we can see not just the cardinal, the money, but we can see all the grace that God has given us in the unseen. Are you following me, church? What if I told you there's more? Maybe the best part. Why do we tithe? Generational blessing. We tithe because he's great and it breaks the curse over money. But we tithe because it says in Hebrews 7, 8. Now, I'm going to read it in my story Bible here. It says, the priests who collect the tithes are men who die. They're mortal people. So Mechazeldeck is greater than they are because we are told he lives on. I mean, that, that says it in a way that I guess I can understand it, but I don't really see the importance of it. Mechazeldeck's not dead. He lives on. Okay, Jesus Christ lives on. I get it. But let's look at the King James again for a second and really look at it closely. It actually says this in the Greek. It says, but there in heaven, he receives them. Jesus Christ is the one receiving your tithe. Not me, not Bridget, not Miss Debbie, not Bank of America. Jesus Christ is receiving your tithe. And it's, it's in the current tense, the present tense. It's not in the past. This is something we need to keep doing. And for those who don't understand it, and for those who say, I'm not tithe, that's not of the grace gospel, it's not of the New Testament, I tell you what, you're still milk and honey. But look why. It says, but there in heaven he receives it, for it is witnessed that he lives. Let's go full circle now. We started with his death, and now we talk about his life. Because he, God is not concerned with your money. He's concerned with your testimony with that money. What are you doing with it? Whether it's $100, $1,000, $10,000, 100000 or a million, what are you doing with it? Can you handle this? God has blessed me with money. He's blessed some of you in this church with money. As a matter of fact, I've talked with some of you, and I know for a fact some of the people in this church have had generation after generation after generation of tithers, and your businesses are successful, and your families are successful, and you're able to do lots of things with your money. My family, before me, my father was Jewish, and before him, and before him, and before him. 
happened and why my dad didn't understand holiness until way late in life. I still get to benefit much from the blessings before me. So what do we do with our money? We must have a testimony. We must have a testimony that says God has given it to us. And here's what we're doing it for God, to testify that he lives. People need to see that it's not just Satan and all of the people who are the greatest sinners in the world that can be blessed with money. God's people can be blessed. For much is given, much is required. I got to share this last story with you, and then I'm going to let you go. And I know it's after 12 o'clock, but I'm going to share it because I really want to. Genesis, you can flip one more time. It's Genesis chapter 45. I want to tell you this story. And then we're going to take an offering, and then I'm going to bless you, and then you can go home and do whatever you have planned for today. So when I look at this, I wanted to understand from Scripture what God meant. And so I looked and researched a bunch of different pastors and sermons and Scriptures, and I found this one, and I'm delighted, and I want to share it with you. It's the story of Joseph. You guys know the story of Joseph? Let me recant it real quickly. Um, so the story of Joseph is simple. By the way, it is, if you ever talk with a Jewish person and you want to share the gospel with them, do not start with Jesus Christ. I mean, that's like telling a Republican to start talking about a liberal president or a liberal and start talking about a Republican. Don't, don't start that way. Start with Joseph. Start with Joseph. Joseph was one of the sons of Jacob. There was 12 sons of Jacob. One was Levi. We've talked about that. One was Judah. Another one was Joseph. Joseph is maybe the most perfect summary of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Joseph, he was a son in a family who rejected him. All of his people hated him. His people actually tortured him, threw him in a ditch, tried to kill him. Then what happened? Did he die? No, he rose up and he went to a gentile nation and what did he do in that gentile nation he rose up and became the king of the gentile nation and he became the bringer of the bread of life when everyone was famished and had no food he had the food and gave it to the people and you know what this king did joseph he he became the, the, the ruler of all the Gentiles, and he married a Gentile. That is the story of Jesus Christ, one who was rejected by his family, rejected by his own people. When he tried to give them blessing, they rejected it. He became in, instead a, a king and a priest to the Gentiles. Right now, most Christians in the world aren't Jewish. They're Gentile. And you know what? Jesus married a Gentile, just like Joseph. Jesus the Bible says that Jesus marries the bridegroom of the church, and most of the church today is Gentile. And you know what happens? The story gets even better, Fred, because the family comes to see. The family needs something. They need food. They need bread. And they come to this land where Joseph is king, and, and they come to get this food, and they come before Joseph, and they don't even recognize him. They don't even recognize him. No, they didn't even recognize him. Just like Jesus Christ, when they came, they didn't even know that he was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so, he gives them food and tells them to come back. And you know what happens on the second coming? The second coming, they recognize and reveal that this is the king that is his family. 
his own brother, Joseph. And they expected, just as the Jewish people do, to be punished and to be beat down. In this case, Jesus, Joseph in this case, he hugs his family and says, come close and let me bless you. He says, let me bless you. And he begins to bless them. And he fills their wagons with food and blessing. And he sends them off and says, go tell my father that I'm alive and bring him to me. His father was named by God Israel. But Israel, 16 years, his son had been dead, he thought. His son was gone. And he kept his name Jacob. And if you can go back and you can look in, in chapter 45 of Genesis, this is the part I want you to see. In chapter 45 of Genesis, in verse 26, the people come back. His family comes back and they see Jacob, the father there, and they scream out. Joseph is still alive, they told him. And he is governor of all the land. They're all excited to talk about this, this Joseph character. And Jacob didn't believe him. It says it. He was stunned. He didn't believe him. People may not believe the gospel. They may not believe what you say. Follow me for a second. They may not believe what you say. Jacob didn't believe what they said. But read the next part. This is my favorite part. It's right here. I call it, when he saw the wagons. Say it with me. When he saw the wagons. Genesis 45, 27. It says, but when he saw the wagons, his spirit revived. Whose spirit? It changes back to Israel. Israel realized at this point he saw the wagons and knew all this blessing must have come from a great and mighty king. Do you see? People may not believe what you say, but when God blesses you with your finances, here come the wagons and start blessing others, and I guarantee you they'll see something in you that they see in no one else. Church, get a hold of this. God is not concerned with your money. He's concerned with what you're doing with it. Fill the wagons. Fill the wagons and send them. And this doesn't mean that you need to somehow go without. Pray that God takes care of you and puts money in your hands to take care of others. Amen? Amen. When he saw the wagon, it changed his faith dramatically. When we help people off at Christmas time, when we help people out with their finances in the church, when we help people restructure their lives financially, when we help people uh, and bless them with food and, and Thanksgiving, we give them turkeys and we do different things to help the community that goes without. When we do that, they see a side of us that they see from nowhere else. And you and me as Christians, when do we see the wagons? When do we see God doing this great miracle that we don't just talk about on Sundays, but we see with our own eyes? When the trucks are just lining up, bringing goods, when do we see that? Oh, I saw it once real recently. It looked like this. This is the roofing project when the trucks were just lining up with HVACs, lining up with roofing material. And when I saw the wagons... God is good and all the time you okay with this message it's not for everybody now let me tell you something if you don't want to tithe 
don't. The Bible says you got to be a cheerful giver. I don't care if you tithe or not. But I tremble in fear that you will fail to experience it. I want you to experience everything I've experienced. I want you to experience the fullness of His grace and mercy, the fullness of His health and healing, the fullness of His financial blessing in your life, and I want you to experience the fullness of His presence. And my fear, church, is you will fail to experience it. We at Kingsway hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Sean. It was not by chance you listened to it. God is speaking to you. Visit kingswaycc.org to find the podcast from Pastor Sean. We pray today that this somehow inspired you to draw closer to God and to connect with His people, His purpose, and His power. God bless you.